Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Before we talk about that, though, of course, you heard Eamon mention there in the news the record number of patients that are waiting on hospital beds. This is in hospitals right across many different hospitals right around Ireland over the past few days. Actually, 1800 453 106, that's the number. I want to hear your stories. And now health experts are calling for the return of mandatory mask wearing in certain public settings. And I have to say, I was coming in on the bus earlier this morning and I just looked around the bus. This is the upstairs section of the bus. And every on every single window in the bus, there was a sticker, a black and a yellow sticker. And the sticker simply said, keep window open. And I looked around and every single window was closed. The whole bus fogged up, condensation, all these yellow and black, keep window open stickers and every single, every single window was closed. And I wouldn't mind, but there was a chorus of coughing, sneezing, spluttering, the whole way coming in the road and no window open. And like, you know, we've health experts now talking today, asking people, asking for the mandatory mask wearing to come back. I've heard the nurses organisations, they want masks in public settings or on buses as well. Many others do. Stephen Donnelly says there'll be no change at the minute. But like the people then who are sitting on the bus will be the first people to be given out about having to wear the mask again. If there is a change to the rules or regulations in the next few days, why can't people just open the window? I couldn't understand it. I actually got up out of the top section of the bus and went downstairs. I just couldn't believe it. Like, And it wasn't even cold this morning. It wasn't raining. No reason the windows couldn't be open. So if you're on a bus today, will you just open the window, please? Eamon is with us on the line. Eamon, what's your hospital experience? Uh, some years ago, I was uh, I was uh, sent in by my doctor uh, to the to the uh, emergency. Which I, I would try to know what high blood pressure was. So I was sent in, and I was admitted. It was around half five, six, and I was sent up to a. I was doing all the tests, and then I was sent up to a um, to a room, and I was there for the weekend. With no knowledge, no, what the hell's going on? Very nice people, all, but you know, the the odd, the odd coming in, taking taking blood pressure, you know, this that and the other, uh, taking your own samples and nothing. And then Monday morning, I had a, a slew of uh, tests, and I was going, "Wow, this is like this is this was like his entire weekend uh, on the public, you know, the public had to pay for me to lie in bed in the hospital and get fed." I was like, why isn't that? So that got me thinking. I was going. Right, all these nurses are 24-hour. Why aren't the doctors and consultants 24-hour? So my solution, I remember speaking to them about it. I was like, why don't you have surgeries? Now, obviously, some surgeries happen at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, you know, some surgeries, some surgeons, like, we'll do 17 hours just to save patients. And amazing people. Why don't we have that, that, you know, doctors are employed? So if you, I mean, just imagine, there's 24 hours in a day. There's, eight, there's, there's three eight-hour eight hour sessions. So you triple. Yeah, this is, this is purely mathematical. I mean, you know, the finer details would be worked out by someone who really knows. But you know, if you took what the nurses do, the nurses come on and they relieve one nurse over the other. You know, I don't know if it's a full team. Maybe it's staggered. So one nurse would say, "Well, this guy is, you know, in severe need," so they don't have to just constantly refer to notes. But if there was a staggered way that you could have a twenty-four hour service, that would be our way out of. Uh, the endless. I mean, the crisis has been there since the 80s. Mm. 
Mm. And now we have the emergency, and whether the government are calling it an emergency or not, I don't know. But that would be my solution for the emergency. Okay, and, but and 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 I uh, I know there's probably you know if there was doctors here with us, they'll be talking about staff shortages and and all that goes with that and under resourced. And I've I've no doubt about it. Are you still in hospital, Eamon, or what's? No, no. This was some years ago. They said start the. the uh, um, I'm not. I'm, I'm being really treated in in the community, but. Uh, so you know, you just, you, once you high blood pressure, they they give you various different drugs every every month. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But, um, um, uh, but I, you, you see what I mean? If, if yeah. You can have a twenty-four hour. System. Oh no, the I take your point. Yeah, I take I, I take your take your point for sure. Um, have we Kira on the line as well? Is Kira Louise uh, with us yes, as well? I'm yeah. Here. What What was your family's experience, Kira? So my brother, who is only 16, um, on the 29th of November, he suffered a stroke here at home at about quarter to nine at night. Now, we were very fortunate that there was an ambulance nearby and within 15 minutes, the ambulance did come and get him. They brought him down to um, Resust, which is part of A&E in Limerick. And unfortunately, he was there for two and a half days. Now, he was triaged and he was put on a trolley. Now, I have to mention at the time, he was in isolation at home for COVID. It was his last day of isolation. So he was put into some sort of private room and he was there for two and a half days. And while he was in A&E, he had another stroke. So a 16-year-old and he had two strokes within 24 hours. Um, Now, my mother was the one to deal with him there. I wasn't personally there myself, but she said her heart absolutely went out to the staff. They were trying their best. They were running around. There definitely wasn't enough staff. There was older people on trolleys wetting themselves, not able to get to the toilet. Um, my brother had to use his commode that wasn't emptied for a day because there wasn't the staff there to do it. My mother then had to put him onto the commode with his left side not working. He was paralysed on his left side. Um, there wasn't staff there to help her do that. It was just chaos. When he went for a scan, he had to be put on a wheelchair and wheeled through, but people on trolleys had to get off, move the trolleys, so that he could get through. It was just chaos. Very stressful, um, Kira Louise, I'm sure, for everybody. Yeah. So he's still in hospital now, and I have to mention is that he? the care he's getting, the care he is getting now outside of A&E in Limerick Hospital is amazing. Yeah, he's in the stroke no and they couldn't, they couldn't be better to him now. He's getting physio twice a day, and he is getting better, but he's still, he's still got a long way to go. But A&E was just, my heart breaks for the staff, because, they're the people that have turned up and they're the people that are trying to help. And unfortunately, they're the people that are getting shouted at and screamed at one in any. But the bottom line is, I don't know how much get nurses get paid, but I don't think they're getting paid enough. Mm-hmm. They're not getting paid enough to turn up and deal with that. And it's just frustrating. And it must be mentally challenging for those nurses and doctors as well. You're... Um your brother is. He, you mentioned he's still in at the moment, Kira Louise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, like, is is the the long term prognosis that he'll you know he'll remain in hospital for um, another while anyway? So we're not a hundred percent sure. So at the moment he's still getting physio, um, sometimes twice a day. Like I said, they're just phenomenal up in that um, unit. But the long term is he'd probably have to go to Dunleary um, in Dublin for some rehabilitation on his left side. Okay, so it was. It's the it's the A and E is where you encountered the whole difficulty at the yeah. start. It's but actually yeah. once once admitted just, things were fine. It's just once admitted through the A&E. my mother and myself 
the care is just amazing he's getting. But it's just A&E and I don't know, something has to be done. It's crazy. Like my mother experienced looking at elderly people, wetting themselves on beds, not being helped because the staff isn't there to help them. And it's just, my mother is a tiny woman and she had to lift my brother, who's not a small man, onto a commode while his left side wasn't working because the staff wasn't there to help her do that. And it's just, it's upsetting. It's upsetting to think that anybody is in that situation. Stay with us, Kara Louise, if you if you don't mind. I think I um I've another caller here on on the line too. It's actually we've Martina Hennessy is with us. Um, Martina's a consultant physician at St James's Hospital in Dublin. Um, Martina, what well, what's the situation there at the minute? Actually, well, ha- good morning, Andrea. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, I just wanted to make contact because what I was listening on the radio this morning. Um, to some of the discussion about the trolley weights and uh, suggestions and, you know, discussion about um, 24-hour working for consultants and so on. And there was kind of a perception, I suppose, that they didn't work or they didn't come in after 5 o'clock or before 9 a.m. And I just wanted to share our experience here in St. James's of, of coping with a weekend on call. So, um, and I, 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 my heart goes out to the lady whose brother uh, was uh, had a stroke. I, mean, I can just empathise with how much, how how upsetting all that is over over a weekend for that kind of thing to happen, and the desire to look after patients uh, properly is is really strong within the hospitals. So I'm a consultant physician in St James's, and I, I was on call on Friday, uh, the thirtieth, and into the New Year's Eve, myself and a consultant colleague admitted over forty patients in a single night, um, and uh, these were added to the twenty five patients already under our care that were already in the house, and we did our usual work our routine work during the Friday day and then carried out a late evening ward round in the emergency department from about 6pm to 9pm. We covered, uh, to see the patients who were admitted, we covered overnight and we're back at the helm again at 7am the next morning to start seeing those patients that were admitted overnight and worked throughout the New Year's Eve with our teams to ensure the patients were properly taken care of. And along the way, met many of our consultant colleagues doing similarly with patients they had taken in in the nights before um, who were still in, in, in hospital and needing to be seen, couldn't really be left over a whole weekend. And just, Martina, to, to give us, sorry, just to give us, you know, but by way of a comparison, when, when you say you admitted yourself and your colleagues um, or your colleague 40 patients, you know, in, in one night, how would that typically compare? Other events, well, it's you know. certainly busier than usual, but we have seen an escalation in the numbers over the over the, the last couple of years, and particularly, of course, you know, in the in the post-COVID period, we've seen a lot more admissions. But we would routinely be be taking twenty-five people in a night, maybe maybe a busy night might be thirty to go up to forty or forty-five. It is a lot, you know. I mean. 20 people, if you, if you think it's just spending 20 minutes, you know, 15 or 20 minutes with 20 patients or and, and when, when you get up to 50 or 60 patients um, under your care, if you can spend 10 minutes with each of them, that's a 10-hour ward round if you never have to move from one ward to another, which you do. So, um, you know, there is a kind of a limit that any one size team yeah. can possibly yeah. see um, in, in, so, a, in, a, in, a, in a reasonable period of time. But we came back in again and uh, my colleague came back in on the bank holiday to check on the sickest individuals and together we started back again yesterday at 8am to start seeing over 50 patients. And, and, and this, is, this is common practice and I just wanted to make sure that people recognise 
that as well as there being great difficulties, that people are doing their very, very best to provide the best possible care. Yeah. Oh, no, and I, I, I think a lot of people, Martina, do, you know, they are aware of that. And I, I think people very much appreciate that. But I suppose it's hard for... It's hard for people to get your, you know, their head around the fact that, like, we talk about this every single year. I mean, it's been well flagged given increases in in population and ageing population and and all of that over the past number of years. And yet we never seem to be able to get a handle on this. We never seem to be able to get to grips with it. No matter how much money we seem to throw at it, we constantly seem to be having the same discussion. And I'm not suggesting that that's, you know, um, a solution that you or any of the team at St. James's can, can solve. But, like... Is it just that are people showing up to A and E that shouldn't be showing up? Are there have we just not enough beds? Like, what's your I can't say analysis? That people are turning up. I, I mean, I, I the people that we saw, the forty people we, we admitted, they certainly all needed to be in hospital, and I certainly felt for every single one of them being stuck there, and and feeling you know people don't come to the A and E departments really for, for for a joke. You know, they're they're sick, and I would never want anyone to feel that they couldn't come and be seen because they thought it was going to be too busy. It's so much safer to see somebody and let, let them go if they don't need to be admitted, for sure. But if they, you know, all the people we saw certainly did need to be admitted. And I can take the, the other caller's point about having a 24-hour um, mm. service. But, you know, the, the number, the, the you'd have to consider that in the context of the whole team of people that may be needed in order to to make a successful discharge. And that might include physios and OTs and phlebotomists and administrative staff and the capacity to have clinics. So it's so much wider than just the 24-hour emergency care yeah, that's required. That's, that's, but I, 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 w- I would like to reassure people that you know, the consultants in the hospital were so aware of what people are going through and we wouldn't, you know, we really do try our very best to provide as much of a service as is, as is possible yeah. uh, during the these times. A lot of discussion in the past day or so um, Martina, people calling and a lot of health experts and I've heard those in your own sector as well looking for a return to mask wearing, you know, on public transport and in other kind of public congregated um, settings. Do you think, will that help? Would you like to see masks back? Well, I, I I would bow to the advice from our public health colleagues because they they have they have a, a much broader view, whereas our, our view tends to be focused on the hospital setting we're in at a particular time. But many of these things are just basic good hygiene. You know, if you if you have coughs and colds and flus and sniffles, you know people use handkerchiefs and and they cough into their sleeves. They don't cough openly in, uh, to other people because mm. they know they don't want to infect other people. And opening windows is, is a very good idea and, and good, good for all of us to get rid of the winter bugs. Yeah, Whether absolutely. or not we should re- return to wholesale mask wearing, I'm sure some people wouldn't like that. But of mm. course, for anyone who's immunocompromised or anyone who's vulnerable or has a respiratory illness already, perhaps wearing a mask uh, you know, it, it may, may, be, may be a necessity. Well, actually, protect them. yeah, I'd love to hear from the public, um, from listeners, you know, today. Like, what's your view on the health experts calling for masks to be brought back in, in certain settings? We're actually running a poll on this. It's online. You can go to our website. Just go to um, newstalk.com slash vote or any of the, the news talk social media platforms. You can get it on, on Twitter and on uh, Instagram as well. We're just asking, would you be prepared to wear masks again? in public settings? That's the question. Or you can let me know in the text line, either 53106. Um, Kira louise j- just before I let you go, your um, 
is your how how is your brother doing like himself? I mean, he's like I know yeah, he's young he, and he's he's good. Bless him, he's only sixteen, but mentally yeah. he's handling it very well. Um, but physically, you know, he he has days where he's very down. He sees his friends out and about together, and he's not there. And it was Christmas time, and he was fortunate enough that he did get to come home for Christmas. But it was hard. It's 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 very hard because he's so young. But he is doing amazing. He's very focused, and he wants to get better, and he wants to get back to his normal life. So. Hopefully in the next coming months that will happen for him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, we'll be thinking of him, Kira Louise, you know, and I, I hope he, I hope he's doing okay. Um, also, I want to thank Martina there for getting in touch with us. Martina Hennessy, who's a consultant physician at St. James's Hospital. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. With record numbers of patients waiting in hospitals across the country, A and E is now struggling to try uh, and deal with some of the um, well, some of the numbers, the crowds that are turning up in in certain cases. We want to hear your stories, your experience. If you're currently at a hospital, if you're on your way, if you have a family member who's experienced an A and E over the past two or three days, do give us a shout. Eighteen hundred four five three one zero six. Ken is on the line. Ken, what's your experience? Well, uh, on, the, on the 15th of December, uh, I was at, uh, sent to action an emergency by my doctor. And as I arrived uh, to uh, reception, there was no seats for actually people to sit because obviously when you go in there, you're sick. And the last thing you need to do is stand up. But as I got admitted into the hospital, I was sent into a waiting area, which I could only describe as a cool room because there was no heating on. And we all had to sit down and just, it was the coldest day of the year. It was a Thursday. And uh, I had to wait there for an hour and a half to be seen by a doctor, which was very efficient. He came along, he did his job, and I was put into another room, which was exactly the same. I checked all the heating and all the heating were off. Uh, a man came in, a fairly elderly man, with a jumper and a, just a pair of trousers and a hat on him. And uh, the uh, ambulance driver had to get Charles uh, uh, to put over him blankets because he was so cold. Then I was got an x-ray taken and then I was put out into the corridor in, this is in the Sligo General now, Sligo okay. University Hospital. I was put out into the corridor where I could say every 10 or 15 minutes, the old uh, accident emergency doors, which are uh, uh, sliding doors open and doors and all the time. I know it, yeah. That's what they were doing. Well, the doctor, the uh, ambulance drivers were coming in with their trolleys to clean their trolleys. The doors were being left open. And we, there were six beds where I was in the uh, corridor, and we were been frozen solid. I had no pillow. I had to ask a nurse to get me a pillow. I was on a trolley. I had, I had no blanket. I had to throw my uh, short jacket over me. And then, saying that, uh, the doctor would come to you to give you, uh, uh, tell you what was going on with you. But everybody, there was no privacy. Everybody in that was near you heard what was happening. So you were you were, do, you were on the trolley and and everyone around. But so you weren't. There was no curtain. There's there's nothing. No, nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing. Uh, and then with the doors open and closing, and that continued from I was on in that bed from uh, the trolley from about four o'clock in the day until uh, at least ten that night before the doors eventually stopped opening and closing, and we were frozen solid. And at the end of the night. Uh, now, I, at, at this stage, I had nothing to eat all day. It was uh, 8.30 at night, 
and I had nothing to eat. So lucky enough, I don't live too far from the hospital. I had to get my wife to come up and bring up some food to me because there was because uh, I, I didn't have anything. Then I was sent. Then uh, at about uh, uh, one o'clock in the morning, I was transferred up to uh, uh, Medical North, the Stiger General. Now mm. the only way I can describe it was like going from a war zone to a five-star hotel. It, it was, I was still in a corridor in the, uh, 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 the medical north. Mm. I was still in a, but I was on a trolley, I was on a bed, a comfortable bed, and it was warm, and I felt very comfortable. Whereas in the accident and emergency unit, I was absolutely frozen solid, and I ended up finding out I had pneumonia as well. And, are you, and are you, are you, were you in for long, Ken? Or? No, this was just an overnight. You're the overnight, the following yeah. morning, the consultant came to me, uh, uh, talked to me and told me what I had. Yeah. And I was home again by two o'clock that okay. day. But that was my second trip within a week. Yeah, it's um, a lot of people now getting in touch. I can see here with you know similar experience. Can like, like you talk? What is the thing about the the cold in the hospital? Um, a lot of les- listeners actually can with the, making that similar same point as you talking about people being near doorways and, and trolleys near near doors. I mean, you'd wonder why. Surely there's other corridors that aren't near some of the main entrances or exits. You'd, you'd have to imagine. Uh, Stephen is with us as well. Um, Stephen, I believe you're actually waiting outside a hospital right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Tullamore waiting to go into the, see the, the doctor over a neck problem. Uh, what I'm angry, well, I'm not angry. I feel very sorry for the nurses and doctors to deserve everything, especially the nurses anyway. But um, you'll go in there now and I'll sit for maybe an hour and a half on some ridiculous chair that you wouldn't put in a cafe. And I don't understand. I spent years going to hospital in Y, which has since passed away. Sat in waiting rooms on benches and absolutely no comfort with the people are suffering from all sorts of ailments and you know and they're all sat mm. behind each other looking at the back of the neck looking to watch. I know it sounds a little bit that there's other bigger problems than this, but you know if you give them a little bit of comfort to sit on, it makes people will talk a bit more instead of fidgeting about standing up and sitting down. Yeah. I spent hours doing it, love. So I know uh, exactly you know the story. what I feel. And you're you're, you're, you're yeah. waiting to go in. You're you're waiting to go in now to be seen, Stephen. Yeah, I'll go in there and I'll pick a ticket off the wall. I sit down for. Sometimes it's about ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Then I go to another area, follow the yellow bit road uh, to this other area, sit down in that uh, waiting room for about an hour and a half, and then maybe you again. And I'm, I'm not pulling Tullamore Hospital down or any of the hospitals. Yeah, no, I, I know. I just don't understand Usher, I know. It's so, it's so, so, it's so busy and, and, and that's the, the point that, you know, everybody's asking on the text line today. I mean, like, what, how can we not get more beds or open more wards or have more rooms or more capacity to deal with this? I mean, sure, it's been well flagged. Um, oh, we were talking about this for the past past number of weeks, or certainly cer- certainly since early December. I know things have escalated in um in in recent days. Linda's on the line as well. Linda, what's your experience? Well, over the Christmas, I was very 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 ill with kidney stones, so I had to go to A and E. I actually couldn't walk with the pain, and I was there the fourth day. I was there for nearly eleven hours, and in the end, they had done the scan and said, yeah, the tube for my kidneys to my bladder was 
very rigid and put me on a really strong antibiotic. But the doctor at the, that night said to me, I can't give you painkillers and I actually can't give you an antibiotic. So I wouldn't be able to get it till the following day. So when I ended up getting the antibiotic, it was wrong. I was allergic to it and I broke out in a rash all over my body and ended up back in A&E again. And I told them that I just wanted to change of an antibiotic and I was made wait another 10 hours in casualty. So there was a lady sitting beside me who had just had a hip replacement. She sat there for 10 hours and she only went in for results. There was a man on the opposite side in pyjamas. He'd come in in an ambulance. He was sitting for 10 hours. He had pains in his side. And I, I was on to him saying, maybe you have kidney stones because that's what I had. I was absolutely crippled with pain. Mm. And he's no money. And I gave him 12 euro and I said, when you come out, get yourself a cup of tea. Another guy beside him had terrible pains in his chest and he told me he was over a triple bypass and he kept going up to the girl saying that the pains in his chest was really bad. He was left sitting. After 10 hours, they called me in and I had said to the doctor, I only wanted an antibiotic change because she had told me that my kidneys were all inflamed and it came up on the scan that I had a rare bowel disease that they had never heard of. They had to Google it. And after 10 hours, I ended up leaving. I actually couldn't wait any longer. Then the doctor rang me and told me my bloods were cleared, but I hadn't done another urine sample. And I ended up having to go to my GP the next day to get an antibiotic because okay. it went down into my chest and I ended up with a chest infection on top of of everything else, and, and when you were when you were in A and E waiting for for the ten hours, I know you you mentioned there was two occasions. Like, was it full, Linda, when you were there, or what was the story? Absolutely packed. Was there it? Was, yeah. There was people coming up in, going up to the girl on the desk, saying that they had been like, you know, they had done COVID tests and they tested positive. And she was saying to them, "No, you're not meant to be here. Yeah. You're meant to have gone to another part." And the elderly lady that was sitting beside me with the hip plate replacement she was in a lot of pain honestly in a lot of pain and I said well Jesus I won't be surprised if we all end up with COVID because the toilet facing us we were sitting directly facing the toilet and there was people in and out of that toilet getting sick thrown up you could hear them thrown up coming back out looking dreadful then they had to put outside from Amy it was another area it was a colder area and I was happy I wasn't actually sitting out that area no. because it was like a makeshift type tent and they had patients all out there. But it took, I'm not joking, there was people there, there was a lady there from five o'clock, I thought going up bang on nine o'clock that morning the next day, I'll just be in and out mm. for a change of an antibiotic. No, that lady was there from five o'clock, like the night before and she still had still, still waiting to be seen. Yeah. Unbelievable! It's it's in yeah it's it's the um, I suppose it just shows you how the pressure that they must be under and how busy they are. You know that people are the, the length of time that people are are waiting, Linda, to be seen. Eighteen hundred four five three one zero six. Look, that's the number if you want to get in touch with us. Stay with us, Linda. I think we've got um, is Rosanna is on the line. Uh, what's your story, Rosanna? Hi. So how are you? Basically, I ended up in A and E the week before Christmas with my son. He's nine and he's autistic and nonverbal. And he is kind of prone to getting a throat infection. We usually end up with an antibiotic at this time of year anyway. But um, he was sick and I rang my GP. And my own GP at the moment is actually running a system where they won't give out appointments until nine o'clock that morning just for that day. 
So it's really a lottery if you get through or not on time. So I had rang on one day anyway and they said, no, no, we have no appointments. This was actually a Friday. They said, ring us back on Monday and we'll see what we can do for you. Now, in the meantime, he got worse. So we ended up a doctor on call. And we got very unlucky with the doctor on call that we saw. He refused to give us an antibiotic and we couldn't get a second opinion. Um, that day we had actually rang doctor on call at like nine o'clock that morning and okay. we were a good half hour on hold waiting to get through. And uh, we were seen at four o'clock that day. So we didn't have time to go through the system again. I said, do you know what? I'll just ring the GP in the morning and we'll see what happens. So rang the GP again the next morning and uh, I was an hour on hold only to be told, no, no, we have no appointments Bring back no tomorrow. Problems. And I actually kind of lost the plot with them. My son had a temperature of over 40 degrees while I was on hold. So we ended up in A&E purely for a prescription. We were very lucky with our wait time. We were only five hours waiting. But I mean, mm. that was that was an entire day that we were in that hospital. We didn't want to be there. And sure, the staff didn't want us to be there. We only needed a prescription. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. a waste of everybody's time. But it was because all the steps building up to that. Like there was nothing we could do. We had no other option. And is this a new thing, this sort of lottery style appointment system? I'm not familiar with it, is it? It's um, it's my own GP is doing it at the moment. Okay. You have to ring up at about quarter to nine, hope that you end up on hold, and then they have a like whatever number you are in the queue, they'll answer. You know, the first person to ring first, and the second one next, mm. and so on. Um, but I actually, when I was on hold, I got very, very unfortunate. Someone cut me off after half an hour, which put me back to the oh, bottom of the queue. And then the when back. they finally got to me, they had no appointments. Okay. And, and as it happens, I had rang the next day again because my other autistic child was also sick and they told me the same. And well, they got an earful and they saw me that afternoon anyway for her. But Yeah. And how we were the now, Rosanna? Oh, they're fine now. They just yeah. needed their antibiotics and I it know, cleared and up within a week, it. you know? I know. And you'd end up in, in A&E over the, over the head of that. And as you say, you know, that adds to the queue and, and the pressure and, and the whole lot then that, that goes with that as well. I see a text in from a listener who says, let's not forget all the volunteer order of Malta ambulance EMT crews that have been transporting patients between hospitals uh, since Christmas Eve. Um, on the, the discussion, just on the point that we mentioned a little earlier today about um, mask wearing and whether or not mandatory mask wearing is something that, you know, should be brought back in public settings or on public transport. We are running a poll on that today. It's on newstalk.com slash voter. You can get it on Twitter or on the Newstalk Instagram. And I, I just want to hear your views on this today. I just mentioned the story earlier this morning coming in on the bus and like even just something as simple as just open the windows, open the bus window. Sure, Martina Hennessy, the consultant doctor that rang in there from James has said the same thing. Keep the windows open. Only a small thing, but sir, Certainly it'll, uh, it'll, it'll add or help in some way. Uh, Valerie from Galway says masks should be brought back with both COVID and flu and other respiratory illnesses around. They will help to some extent. People need to be considerate. I wear mine quite a lot actually and I find that it keeps me warm uh, when I'm walking outside as well. Uh, this texter talking about an earlier caller um, basic hygiene is key. People sneezing and coughing without anything in front of their mouth in a packed shopping centre. Have we learned nothing? People should wear masks if they want to um, but they should be forced. We shouldn't be forced to do it, says this texter. And another listener says, my husband and I started wearing masks out in the shops, etc. again, back before Christmas and we're going to continue to wear them. We don't need the government to tell us. It just makes sense. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.